Uh, for those that you could join us this morning, it's um, it's good to see you guys uh, here in person. We've been in um, we've been in this uh, season um, in Advent, where we've we're kind of walking through this gospel story, um, and so today's topic topic is redemption. And what I've heard a lot lately is we want to redeem 2020. We want to redeem 2020. I've seen it. I've seen it on social media. I've, I've, uh, I've heard it from many, many people. And so we're going to talk about redemption this morning, but it's going to look a little different than I think we're used to. So I Googled redemption or redeem just to kind of get a, what is the definition? What would Google say redeem means? And so I'll pull it up here on the screen here. And it says to compensate for the faults or bad aspects of something. So there's been a lot of bad aspects to 2020. And so we want to overcompensate on the other side. We're ready for all these good things to start happening now. Amen. Amen. Now this is true and there's nothing wrong with thinking this way. But for some reason this... Early on, this just didn't sit super well in my soul. And so I, I took to scripture because I go, okay, I, this is Google's definition of redemption, which is nothing wrong with it, right? It's kind of like a coupon. You go into a store with a coupon and you go, okay, I'm going to bring this in because I want to get something back. I want to I, I I get a little extra back for making this purchase. And so I had to look up in scripture and just so we know, just so it's clear, a biblical definition of redemption is not this. It's not, actually it doesn't really have anything to do with this definition. There's nothing wrong with this definition, but it's important for us to understand that as we open scripture, the words that were used back in the Hebrew and Greek the word redemption there means something much different than this. And so we're going to look at that because I think it's important for us to understand that not just in 2020, but to understand this bigger picture of the gospel, which is what we've walked through. JP has taken a couple weeks to highlight creation, this, this beautiful, perfect world that God has created. And then last week, it's this fall where sin enters, where we choose other things other than God and we put them over him and it causes this mess and chaos, which leads us to redemption. Where we go, I think in our minds we go, okay, so there's a mess and there's sin, and we want to try to overcompensate with good things. Or we want God to overcompensate us with good things. If 2020 has been rough, or we've had a rough year, we want, we're ready for God to start, you know, just, just raining down presence. But for some of us, now I... I sure hope this isn't the case, but for some of us, 2021 may be a more challenging year than 2020 was. There may be unforeseen circumstances that come in 2021 that make 2020 look like a cakewalk. Of course, I'm not wishing any of these things to happen, but that's just the reality. These things may happen. And so in this time... God brought me to what I consider one of the most beautiful stories of redemption found in Scripture. Notice I say one of the most beautiful 
stories of redemption. And believe it or not, this actually isn't a story about Jesus. We're going to go back a long ways before Jesus. A long time before Jesus was ever even a baby or shepherds, a manger, or anything like that. In fact, we're going we're gonna to go back really before Israel had its country borders. And we're going to go back to the time of the judges. Now, for those of you that maybe don't understand what this means, is when Israel was, before it was really a, really, uh, uh, um, a nation that was established, they were ruled by judges. These were people appointed by God to, to, to just help maintain order. And, and, they, and they would have communion between God and the people, and they helped, they helped maintain the order. But ultimately, God was the authority figure, and everyone reported to him. It wasn't a king making laws and decrees. That was God. And so the judges were there to help maintain this order. And so it's in this time that we find a couple people, and their names are Elimelech and Naomi. Elimelech and Naomi. And they're from a little town we call Bethlehem. How still we see the, I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, oh, it's a Christmas sermon. Yay, Christmas, I love Christmas. Yes, Bethlehem was around, believe it or not, much sooner than Jesus was. And it's in this little town of Bethlehem that we find Elimelech and Naomi, and they have two sons, and so it's this beautiful little family. And now I'm going to pull up on a screen here because um, what happens is there's a famine that takes place. A famine hits the land, crops aren't growing, what was once um, a, a place of, of a lot and abundance is now very little, and so uh, Elimelech and Naomi traverse over to a place called Moab. Moab is not a part of Israel. Moab is not a part of Israel. And so these are foreigners. These are strangers. They believe different things. They don't believe in the same God. And so right here we have Bethlehem and Jerusalem's right here. Here's Bethlehem. So this is where they're from. And they, they go over the Dead Sea here or they cross over the Jordan and they go down to an area called Moab. Because it's a famine. And so they go there to like any family may do, you go there to look for a, a, better, a better place, more security, and they have these two little boys. Well, tragedy strikes while they are in Moab, and they were there for years, but Elimelech dies. Elimelech dies, and Naomi is now a widow with two little boys. It's important to understand, at this time, the men were the primary caregivers to any family. They were the ones with the incomes and jobs. And so if you did, if you did not have that spouse, you were left out on your own. And so Elimelech dies and, and her two boys now, they're now a little older. And so they marry two women from Moab. Again, these women are not from Israel. They're from the foreign country of Moab. Their names are Orpah and Ruth. And ultimately today, this is a story about Ruth as we find in the Old Testament. 
Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth. Before we get into David, before we get into Saul and the kings, there's this story of Ruth to what I alluded to as what I think is one of the most beautiful stories of redemption in the Bible. So these two boys, they marry these, or these two, uh, the two boys marry the two women, and then more tragedy strikes, and both of Naomi's sons die. We don't, we don't know why. We don't know what the causes were. But now you are left with three widows. Naomi, who's from Israel, Bethlehem, in a foreign country, and two daughters-in-law that are now left with nothing as well. So Naomi does what any, I think what any woman in her place would do. She goes, you know what? I have extended family back there. I've, I've got to go back. And it says, actually, it's, it's actually a very sad but beautiful picture because um, all three of these women, they've clearly become very close in, in their pain and in their grief and in their loss. And there's a lot of crying because they realize Naomi needs to probably go home, but we probably will stay here. And Orpah chooses to stay, but Ruth, Ruth refuses to let Naomi go back by herself. She goes, it's not going to be easy where you're going to go. You're still going to be a widow. It's, you're, you're old now, and so you're probably not going to be able to remarry. I refuse to let you go by yourself. And so Ruth comes back with Naomi. And when they get to Israel and they get back to Israel, they're so poor that Naomi suggests to Ruth, goes, you know what? We, we need a meal tonight. Like we, we need food on the table and we don't have anything. So why don't you, you're young, you're strong. Why don't you go out and go into the fields behind where they've harvested and pick up the scraps that are left over? And this was very customary for those that were really, really poor. Is that the, the kind of the employees and the people with estates and land, they, they, they had incomes and they'd harvest and then the really poor people would come behind and just pick up whatever they missed. It would take hours and hours and hours just to get enough grain for one loaf of bread. And you'd bake that bread and that was your meal and then you'd go out the next day and do the same thing. And so Naomi goes, hey, I have extended family. His name's Boaz. I have extended family. Why don't you go to his field? And just pick up whatever you can so that we can eat. Boaz notices that there's this strange woman harvest or picking up, gleaning what is now left behind. And so he, he inquires of her. And she informs kind of their situation and of how her and Naomi have moved back and they don't really have anything. And Boaz, he notices the honor in which Ruth displays here, her love and devotion for Naomi. And so he does something very interesting. He instructs his servants to go, keep, keep working, keep gathering the food, but what I want you to do is I want you to just leave some extra grain behind. Don't, it's, it, this isn't a chair. Don't, don't just take a big, don't just take a big, 
bunch of it and give it to her. And that, and in doing that, he didn't shame her in this big pity party and go, okay, well, here, just take this and get off my field. He gave her the dignity of doing work, but going, you know what, I, I, I want to do a little more for you. And so he left her a little bit more grain. And, and this is a longer story. It's summarized in a much longer and deep way. We've got to really condense it here for this Sunday morning. But Boaz chooses not to shame Ruth. And he even discreetly blesses her rather than publicly showing her pity. And he actually goes to, goes to enough effort and goes, hey, don't go, to, don't go to any other fields. You may be mistreated in other fields. You may be taken advantage of in other fields. I can't, I, can't, uh, I can't speak to the conduct of the workers over there. So stay here where you will be safe. And this is where the Bible brings up a term called kinsman redeemer. And this is where we find our definition for redeemer today. But a kinsman redeemer, what is the purpose of this? What was the point? The point was God designed in his law a caveat for widows. Because he knew that if you are a woman and your husband dies, you are on your own and there's nothing and there's no one to care for you. And so in the law was this kinsman redeemer which would, who would come in and if there was a widow, usually it was like a brother or, or closest relative, they would marry this woman so that they could continue the family line. Customs were much different back then and we understand that. But the primary purpose of this was to provide for a widow who would normally have no future and nothing there to account for. Hence the name kinsman, family, redeemer. Here is the biblical definition of redeemer. A releasing affected by payment of ransom or in simpler terms to buy out. To purchase. This was a, this was a transaction. This is where the term redeem comes from. To buy out. What it is is going, hey, there, there is a situation where a woman no longer has anything. And so I'm going to buy out. I'm going to take all that responsibility with really nothing to gain from it. This was God showing grace to those who maybe have been affected in such a horrible way as losing a spouse. And so as we talk about redemption today, it's not the overcompensating with good that we find in Scripture. It's this buying out. It's a bad situation that is literally purchased and bought out. Now, it's important for understanding here as, as, a kin, as this kinsman redeemer takes place and essentially uh, uh, this is what happens is uh, Boaz goes, okay, there's a closer relative. If he doesn't... If he doesn't redeem you, then I will. If he doesn't take on your situation, then I will. And this actually says a little bit about the character of this other guy because Boaz goes to him and goes, hey, there is, there is a woman that needs redemption. There's a woman that needs a kinsman redeemer. Will you take her on? And he goes, nah, I'm good. Nah. And Boaz goes, okay then I will. Then I will. 
I'm going to take a situation, I'm going to take a woman that really has nothing, not really going to benefit me in any way. It's going to require me a lot more provision to take care of her. It's going to be resources. There's going to be kids and all this, and there's going to be a lot of investment there, but to, what you're going to get back is really nothing. You're doing it for her. But what's important to understand here, Ruth's association with someone like Boaz, someone with a family like Boaz, her association with him ensures her reception into the Davidic covenant. Remember, Ruth is not from Israel. Ruth is a foreigner. She doesn't belong there. But when Boaz takes her in, she is now associated with a man who is, and she is taken care of, provided for, covered, done. Her past is not held against her. Being a foreigner isn't held against her. Being the victim of a lot of horrible life situations is not held against her. She's not left to go, you know what, you're, you're just going to be a burden. It's not held against her. So she's now a part of this family, and this family line is important because Boaz is the great-grandfather to a guy we call David, a king after God's own heart. The great-grandmother of King David was a foreign woman who'd been widowed, victim of a lot of horrible things. And then, of course, from David, we know that leads to baby Jesus in the manger. Family lines were important. Being associated with someone like Boaz was so important. And this is where we kind of make this transition from our beautiful story of redemption, of Boaz taking, taking on something that was going to really not benefit him at all, but have so much benefit for her. This leads us to, of course, Jesus. Because Jesus steps in to ensure the security of our future. And here's one of our points on the screen here is our association with someone like Jesus ensures our reception to future glory. Just like the association with Boaz was going to ensure her security moving forward, our association with Jesus going, hey, no, you are a part of this. You are taken care of. You've been purchased, bought. Transaction is over. You're done. Our pasts are not held against us. Just like Boaz doesn't go, hey, uh, I, you know, I can't, I can't really do this. Kind of like the first guy did. I'm not going to take that on. Boaz goes, no, 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 I, I don't care what's in the past. I'm going to take you on and you're going to be provided for. My past, your past is not held against us. God isn't concerned where you come from. God isn't concerned about the horrible things that have maybe happened to you or bad decisions in your past. He goes, no, 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 I see you and I want you. And we see this, this term redemption in, in Romans as well. This is, and this, and this, this passage just summarizes the good news that we call the gospel. Gospel meaning good news or good story. This is a good story. 
The story of Ruth and Boaz is a good story. The story of Jesus is a good story. Romans 3, verses 21 through 24. It says this, but it says, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. What does that mean? It means like the whole Old Testament, the whole first part of our Bible, the law, the prophets, they're standing at these podiums in this courtroom going, you know, pointing to Jesus going, no, this is the guy. This is the Savior. This is how you get salvation. All of Scripture is pointing towards this. They give testimony for it. Verse 22, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. There's no difference between Moabite and Israelite. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which is what JP emphasized last week. All of us. We're a mess. We're the Ruth in this situation. We can't provide for us. We can't make it right on our own. Verse 24, and all are justified freely. Justified means declared righteous freely by his grace through the redemption or through the purchase that came by Christ Jesus on the cross. And so we look at our situations, our lives around us, 2020, and our heart cries out. We, we, we want, I think, I think inside our heart, we want that Google definition. We want just the good stuff to start happening now. We're done with the bad stuff. Just give us more good. But what if that idea of redemption is wrong in the first place, that the purchase has already been taken care of? Jesus saw me. He saw Dan. And I say, I bring it to myself first because, guys, as I've wrestled through this stuff, God is just, God has been working in my heart first. And he sees me and he goes, no, I want that. I see your situation. I see your mess. I see your hurt, your pain. I see your horrible choices that you've made. And I even see what you're probably going to do in the future. But I want you. And he buys it out. He takes it on for himself. God chooses to buy out our mess. Your mess my mess. There's not a mess too messy that he doesn't choose to take on. But what's also so, so key about this is that he chooses not to shame us in this process. He doesn't go, oh yeah, I'm going to save you. Boaz, Boaz didn't go, you know, he didn't go up to his friends and go, oh yeah, I, you know, I just redeemed this person in kind of a kind of a rough situation. This is not great. He didn't do that. Jesus doesn't choose to shame us. No. He saw more value in my future than the cost that it would require. Which is going to lead us to our final and I think also important point in this idea of redemption. And that's that God did not purchase us with something to gain from the transaction. Or in a term we like to use today as he's 
he wasn't looking for a return on investment. We're not just a dollar amount where he hopes to get more from. See, we have these things like banking accounts, 401ks, retirement. And what do we do? We put money in in hopes that we get more back to be taken care of. And of course, there's nothing wrong with those things. But that is not what Scripture is talking about when we see what Jesus did for us. He didn't make this purchase and go, okay, now the time clock's clicking. Time to start paying up. No, he's not looking for a return on investment. God's grace, you guys, God's grace is not an investment. We see that very clear. It's a gift. We give gifts right now. We give gifts to our, to our little kids or our siblings, or in my case, I have little nieces and nephews in, in Minnesota. Why do I give them gifts? Because I know that this little trinket or a wooden sword and shield that he's probably going to wreak havoc on around the house, not my house, mom and dad. So um, it's, it's <laughs> I do it because it's going to be joyful and he's going to enjoy it. And, and the investment isn't, oh, uh, you know, it's, it's not a dollar amount. It's in that person. It's in that family, and so we do this this time of year. We do the same thing with cars and houses. We calculate a cost, and we go, okay, what am I going to get back? Well, I'm going to get a Toyota because I want this to be a reliable car for a long period of time. And I want it to get from point A to point B, and it's going to work well, and I'm basically just going to change the oil on it. It's probably going to be good. Or we go, you know what? I want it to be a little more luxurious. I want a little more... Uh, I want a little more cushion. I want it all, elect- you know, all electric or all these you know, nice computer gadgets, whatever it is. And maybe we choose to pay a little bit more for that. We do the same thing with our homes. We want a backyard for our kids, our dog, an area, a school district. We look at a purchase and we go, what are we going to get in return? And there's nothing wrong with thinking that way, you guys, of course. I'm still going to give my nephew a little wooden sword and he's going to probably wreck stuff with and it's going to be awesome. But that is not how God views us. God did not purchase us with something to gain in the transaction. He did not invest in these families to gain something from the transaction. And this is neat because in, uh, in Matthew we see uh, before baby Jesus, before shepherds, before wise men, before any of the Christmas stuff, there's this long list of complicated, boring names, which is called genealogy. And this genealogy was your resume. This is what made you stand out from everyone else. In fact, there were Herods, which were Jewish rulers that the Romans assigned. There were, there were Herods that actually took out people in their genealogy because they didn't want to be associated with them. Like, no, no, these people are shady. There's, there's some shady stuff back here, and so I'm just going to kind of do the little eraser here, and we're going to nix this out so that no one notices that and I can be perceived a certain way. But what Jesus does in Matthew, this is beautiful because he walks through, and who is included in this? People like Ruth are included in this genealogy. A Moabite woman who's not even from Israel. But what's probably more incredible is Boaz's mom. Boaz's mom was Rahab, the prostitute in Jericho. That when Israel, 
They're coming out of the wilderness. They're coming into the promised land, and they see this big city in front of them, Jericho. And they go spy it out, and Rahab goes, I will help you. I, 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 I want to be a part of you guys. I want to be received with you guys, and so I will help you if you save my family. And so they said, okay, leave the scarlet or the red cord out your window. And so when they marched around Jericho, the walls came tumbling down as we sang in second grade. And her little portion of the wall is left, untouched. Back in David's family, or back in Jesus' own family line, are foreigners, prostitutes. And he doesn't, he doesn't take them off his genealogy. He doesn't go, okay, I want, I want to include, I want to include these people, but not these. He goes, no, no, we're going to include all these. Because I am proud of my family. Jesus' own family needed to be redeemed. They needed to be purchased. He doesn't shame us. He takes pride in us. And all, guys, what scripture is very, very clear is this is, this is a gift. This is for us to have. Whatever situations we find ourselves in, that it's right there. It's like an inheritance that all you got to do is sign the dotted line. We look at that and go, well, why, 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 wouldn't, why wouldn't I do that? Is this really any different? He goes, just simply have faith. Believe. You've been purchased. You've been taken care of. And so this is redemption. I'm not going to wait around for 2021 to be better than 2020. I'm not. God has given me and you, he's, he's given us things in 2020. They're there for us to be thankful for if we take time to notice them. First off, going out and ensuring the security of someone like myself and going, you know what, you are worth it. I'm going to purchase you. I'm going to redeem you. That doesn't mean I just get presence and presence and presence now. No. But that is so much more for my future. And so in just a moment, David's going to come up here and he's going to start playing and he's going to lead us into communion. Because this is ultimately where we have to, this is, this is our reminder of this transaction and this purchase. But there was one place, one place that took care of it all. There's no but, ifs, or ands here. When Jesus went to the cross, he goes, okay, I see the purchase that I need to make. It was not free. We get the free gift. The purchase was not free. He's like, I, mean, I, I, I see the sacrifice. I see what it's going to cost. It's gonna, and, and I'm going to send my son, and he's going to walk with them, and he's going to feel with them. He's going to laugh. He's going to cry. He's going to create relationships. He's going to be close to my creation. God himself chooses to come down and be close to his people. Emmanuel, God with us. I want to be close with my people. I want to be with my family. And at the cross, we are reminded of this purchase. 
this redemption. So I'm going to read a couple more verses. It continues on in Romans for us. It says this, Romans uh, chapter 3, verses 25 and 26 says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith, the cost of this purchase. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished and he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And that's it. Redemption is good. Redemption is beautiful. And I'll just be the first one to tell you guys, I would rather have a biblical redemption than a Google one. Because my association with Jesus Christ ensures my future and I am held on to and I'm not shamed and I'm taken care of. Even when life gets complicated, maybe 2021 gets worse. I'm still held on to. I'm still a part of that family. And so that's where Jesus meets you and he meets me. Now, if you're tuning in and you're here and this is something you haven't really signed up for before. Well, good news, it's free. And the benefits that we get associated with Jesus Christ are something that honestly we won't even be able to comprehend until we see him face to face. And so we're going to, we're not going to jump forward anymore. At Christmas Eve, JP is going to talk about restoration. And that's looking, that's looking forward a little bit more. But we're not going to go there yet. Today we're talking about redemption. The purchase. The transaction. The buyout. Jesus seen our situations, the mess, the sin... The chaos. Maybe we had something to do with it. Maybe we were just a victim to it. But he goes, no, 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 I want to I wanna buy that out. My payment's going to cover all that. And so communion is when we remember this purchase. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you for stories like Ruth and Boaz where... We, we see humans like ourselves. As much as we can relate to Jesus because you came in human form and you felt and you, and you hurt and you cried and, and that joy and all, all these things, we look at Ruth and Boaz and we see just these, they're, they're just humans. And some situations are worse than others and we just see this beautiful picture entwined in the history of Israel and the very family that you sent your son to be a part of. God, I pray that we don't put more stock in just trying to make things better from here on out, that that we wouldn't just look to Google for defining redemption, that we wouldn't just look to overcompensate with the good things or just hope that better things happen from here on out. But we would put our stock and our, our trust in the purchase you made on that cross that that transaction is final. You're not looking for anything in return other than 
a relationship with us. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.